Okay, welcome everyone, um, whenever or whenever you're watching this. Um, presumably most, there'll be a lot of people watching at various times of day, morning, evening, afternoon, whatever. Sure. Um, so yeah, so today I'm checking back in with uh, David Aiken, who you might remember. We've spoke to a couple of times. He's the the founder of uh, Checkerhead Brewery on Vancouver Island in Canada. Yep. But he's also, his, his day job is um, a street juggler, I street comedian i started as a street performer and then ended up on cruise ships and uh, yeah and then had a little hiatus when we all sort of all had a hiatus and now uh i'm back out a little bit which is great yeah so i mean we were just discussing that for anyone who doesn't know i mean basically if you if, if it's not too late to, to change your career i sounds like <laughs> doing stuff on cruise ships it sounds like the life it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, the last trip I did was uh, I left Victoria on the 2nd of January and got home on the 23rd, did two different cruise ships, did a total of four nights, two shows a night. So for almost three weeks, I only had four working days. I mean, and really, how much do I work? I mean, I do an, a 45 minute show twice in an evening. So that's an hour and a half. So three hours per cruise. So six hours total for three weeks. It's not so bad. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, my daughter found some juggling balls, so maybe I'll really force her and, and emphasize that she should be. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, that's the, the last thing you want to hear parents say, no, 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 stop being a lawyer, get into juggling. Go, go, go. It's the future. So, um, so anyway, so let, let, let's get on to the, the beer center thing. So, sure, you might remember Checkerhead Brewery is it's your kind of microbrewery lifestyle it's when you kind of when you're not juggling cruise going around on cruise ships you want to brew beer sell it have a nice income and just kind of keep your life it's not it's not an investment to to expand and grow rich and sell or anything like that no 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 so let me get this straight so my day job is juggling and my my side hustle is brewing beer sounds like a pretty good life as far as i'm concerned yeah i'm, I'm telling you it's my daughters I'm, i have two of them they'll both be doing it if I, if I <laughs> send them to circus school send them to circus school there's a circus school around here somewhere i think i'll have yep. to i'll have to investigate but um yeah so i mean that the last time we were talking you were you you had just i think you got your fermenters in place and that mm -hmm. the, the brewery was nearly all there you were about to do a soft open and that went Oh, back. this is back last April, was it? It was way back. Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, so we did sort of a, a open house uh, and welcome friends. And the, it was a lot of other home brewers who were really passionate about seeing how do you make the jump from being at this level to, I mean, yeah, I'm going to be a professional brewer. I'm going to be charging for my beer, but it doesn't feel like it's much more than my hobby on steroids, which is great. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people came out to support it because the local community has been hearing a lot about it uh, growing into something and they wanted to see where it was at. And then friends from Victoria came out to, to support it as well and brought some of their beer that they'd made. Uh, and then the, the liquor inspector caught wind of it, looked at the uh, website and social media and was like, mm, yeah, mm, you're not actually open yet. So you shouldn't be advertising your open houses just yet. So... I got my uh, wrist slapped, but uh, in the meantime, uh, he came out, the liquor inspector came out, uh, went through the space, checked off all the boxes and said, yes, you have set up exactly what you said you've set up. So we will grant you permission to now pay us money so that you can produce beer. 
And then it goes from, so we have uh, two different provincial bodies that deal with it. You've got the liquor and cannabis regulation branch because cannabis is legal in British Columbia. So they're, they fall under the same uh, regu regulatory branch. So they're the ones who say you're allowed to make the alcohol. And then they pass you over to the liquor distribution branch, which is also a provincial government that says, now please register all of your products so that we can have your SKU numbers. So your identification number for each product that you're going to do. And if you've got this beer in a keg, it's one SKU. If that same beer is in a can, it's a different SKU. If it's in a bottle, it's a third SKU. So you need to register all the different forms of that beer that you're going to be doing. And that's the process I'm getting to now. The challenge for me was that they, they expect you to know how to do it before you've actually done it. And their instructions on how to do it are limited. So you, you have to do a little bit of guesswork in terms of, you know, I think this is what they want. And, you know, talking to other brewers locally, they've said, yeah, for your first year, you're kind of making your best guesses. And by your second year, you understand the system a little bit better. It is like anything. You, you yeah. have to learn what is involved in the reporting of the products that you're making and selling so that the government remains happy. Now, that's just the provincial government. Then you've got the federal government, so the government of Canada, who also wants to have a little bit of tax money associated with the alcohol you're producing, and that is uh, excise tax that is done. And I've applied for that. I need to talk to them in the next couple of days because uh, they issue you with a federal excise tax number, and that allows you to then go to grain distributors and other people to buy the product from them so that you can then make the alcohol that they get to charge you tax on. So, you okay. know, it's various... <laughs> Uh, levels of government telling you what and you can and can't do, and then uh, wanting you to report on a weekly or monthly basis, depending on the branch of the government it is, and you know, basically saying, okay, we sold three of the kegs of this beer, two bottles of that beer. That's for liquor distribution branch once a week, and then the uh, federal government wants to know how much you've produced, and they charge you based on the number of hectoliters that you produce okay. in in a week or a month. Still haven't figured that reporting process out just yet but you know it's, it's ongoing ongoing learning process part all part of the adventure and and yeah, we'll get there eventually and the, even though they're branches of government they don't talk to each other mm -mm. Mm. the one that kills me is the liquor distribution branch the provincial part there are the people that you register your products with and then there are the people that you report your sales to and they're the same branch of government, and they don't seem to talk to each other. <laughs> so, so Fred over in that desk doesn't talk to Mary. Well, I mean, Larry over there is a jerk. Who would you want to? I mean, Fred, he's a cool guy. You don't want to talk to Larry. And yeah, there's it's just it's just an ongoing um, uh, maze of bureaucracy that you end up having to navigate so that you can do the thing that you love, which is, I mean, I, I haven't stopped making beer on a homebrew scale because I just made, I, I enjoy making it, but you know, the, the system in the brewery is in place. Uh, we're in the last stages of testing all the equipment. The electrician was out the yesterday and then the plumbers were out over the weekend. We've got a couple of little plumbing things that still need to be done. Uh, we ran water through the system just to check for leaks and yeah, okay, that needed to be tightened up. This needs to be done here. And then I have to go ahead and, and clean all the tanks and passivate them because the stainless steel needs to be protected and then clean it again and then sanitize it. And then, then you can start making beer. Make a beer. <laughs> yeah. And the first one, the first batch is going to be just water so that you can walk through the steps to make sure 
your your uh, SOPs, your standard operating procedures are in place so that, you know, start with water. Like my friend, John, who used to work in a distillery in Edmonton, Alberta, came out for a visit and we tried to get the CIP cart, the clean in place cart set up. And you've got two tanks that are roughly 60 liters each. One where you put your hot caustic mix, which is your soap basically. And the other side, you put your parasitic acid, which is your uh, sanitizer. And you've got a pump to pump them through the whole system so that you can do a circular loop. So it goes in through the CIP ball at the top of the tank, and then it comes showers down inside the tank to clean the inside, and then comes out the, the release bulb at the bottom, and then goes back into the pump so it can go back up to the top. So it's a circular thing because the tank's too big for you to get into it and clean it by hand. So you have to rely on a okay. pump system to clean things. And this is like the smallest scale brewery that would actually use a CIP because most breweries that are this smaller or even tiny bit smaller can still get in and clean the tanks as though they're just big pots like you're still home brewing. But I, I, I like the idea of having it feel a little bit more professional than, hey, look at me and my pods. So I took it to the next level. And uh, yeah, you're now having to deal with the fact that that requires different equipment to do the job that you can do just with a, a pot and a scrub brush if you're working normally. So well, I suppose, I mean, having that, it sounds like it's over the long term, it's probably going to save your work anyway. Like, well, Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, and when John was here and we were getting it all set up, well, the electrician hadn't set up that circuit to be able to handle the load that was required for the cart. So it's okay. got a heating coil in the caustic tank, which needs 240 volts. I mean, it's different than Europe, but we have 120 and 240 that you can operate on. And it needed 240, but the, the circuit had only been set up for 120. So the pump was really lagging and the heat coil wasn't working. And we were scratching our head going, what is, what's going on? And as soon as the electrician came out, he went, oh, yeah, that's why. And changed it. And then, boom, everything was working. But, you know, it's just we're in the process now of testing the equipment, figuring out where those little gremlins are, and then just taking care of them one at a time, which is great. Okay, so you have that. But you're still waiting on, like you said, you're you're waiting on some paperwork as well. To still need to deal with the federal excise tax and get the federal excise tax number for the Canadian government, and then the provincial government of British Columbia needs me to register all the products. And the plan is to start the registration process this week, so that the beers that I've been making for years as a home brewer can now be registered with the government, so that they know what's going on. And it's a little bit tricky because I haven't brewed on my new system yet. I'm making my best guesses as to what the brew house efficiency is going to be, how much sugar I'm going to be able to extract from the grain. But until I start to do that dance in the brewery, I'm really going to need to spend like two or three batches to dial things in to get them where I want as they've been with just the homebrew uh, scale of operation. So what do you need to tell them? So I'm sorry, I'm just a bit confused there because sure. you're not just telling them like, I'm, this is a beer with this name. You're telling them what? No, you know, you're telling them it's got this uh, ABV content. Basically, they want to know if it's a, a lighter beer or a stronger beer so that they can track that because there's different rules and regulations associated with the labeling for different kinds of products. Uh, and they want to be able to track you. So for example, you have 10 bags of grain in your brewery warehouse and you're going to make three batches of beer with the ABVs don't equate out like okay. the sugar that's coming from that grain should produce this amount of alcohol, be it a lower ABV beer or a higher ABV beer. You'll still expect to get approximately this number of hectoliters from that amount of grain. Okay. So they'll check the amount of grain that you have. 
and then they'll see what you actually produce. And if something seems off, they'll say, can we please see your recipes just to make sure there isn't something going sideways? What they're basically trying to avoid is having you uh, brew beer, not report it and sell it so that it's being bootlegged and you're taking cash away from them. Which right. you know the government doesn't like that for some reason. I don't, oh, yeah. I don't have it. They get a little bit testy about you not paying your taxes. I don't know what the whole story is on that. I don't know. Maybe that's just Canada. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe Canadians. Oh, they're very particular about their taxes. <laughs> so, so um, yeah. So that all oh, that makes sense. I mean, it, it, but it, it is like I said, just time consuming. Basically, yeah. It's yeah. just it's and, a lot of a lot of paperwork to get to the thing you love to do, but. Yeah. You know, once you've set it up and it's in place and you're running the system and they're happy. I mean, they're, they're not horrible people. Like the folks at the liquor distribution branch who you have to report your sales to actually reached out to me and said, you know, when are you going to be starting production? And I said, probably not until the spring. So they said, well, do you want us to do your nil reports for you so you don't have to be on it every week, especially if you're on a cruise ship and you're having a hard time connecting to the Internet and you're supposed to be reporting your sales every week and you haven't even started production yet. We understand where you're at. We'll do that for you. And then just please let us know when you'll be taking over the reporting of your sales so that we'll stop doing it. You can take over and, you know, you'll figure it all out. I mean, they're, they're just people like yeah. everybody's just a person. But, you know, it, it does sometimes feel as though it's, you know, the big bad government against the, the solo entrepreneur trying to make it all work. But they're just they've got a job. They're just following their rules and regulations. They're trying to help you. Because I'm paying their salaries, basically, like the taxes that I collect pay their salaries. But my operation is so small scale that the the amount of tax that they're going to get from me won't pay anybody's salary. It's it's just oh, that's coffee fund. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so um, yeah. So so when do you think all that's going to be done? So. Uh, well, the intention is to, to get through, well, I've got another cruise ship job coming up. So oh. I haven't given up my juggling career because my juggling career currently still pays me far more than my brewing career does. So my intention is to, between now and the 9th of March, try to get through all the tests on the system so that everything's operational and ready to go, run off and do this cruise ship job for about three weeks in March. And then when I come home on 31st, get everything set up so that I can do my first actual brew day on the system in the brewery on April Fool's Day, which I feel is the exact right day to launch a clown-inspired brewery. That sounds right to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, that, that's the other point I suppose we should make to anybody is, I mean, the thing is, like we said, or like I said at the start, like this is intended to be your kind of lifestyle brewery to like you're not producing any huge numbers, you're not setting up the company to sell or anything. So you're you're funding it all yourself. You're you're not you don't have any bank debts or anything. This is well, so. I I borrowed money from my mom and I borrowed money from a friend and I will pay them back. But yeah. I imagine that my juggling career will pay them back faster than my brewing career. Yeah. But I, I basically I'm buying myself a job so I don't have to leave our beautiful property on Vancouver Island so that I can stay here do something I enjoy doing. But we also have you know, we keep bees on the property as well. And so those bees are a job for lack of a better word. And we have an Airbnb suite on the property as well. So that's sort of my wife looks after that. And, you know, between various income streams, we get to do interesting things on the property and, and just enjoy a life that's, you know, full of side projects that sort of all combine to create enough income to enjoy life. Yeah. I mean, we're also super lucky that, 
you know, we had done very well from a house that we'd purchased in North Vancouver. And when we sold it, we were able to be in a, a little bit more set up situation. So, you know, we don't owe money on the house. We don't have like our kids are now adults. So we spent the money that we were going to spend putting them through school. They're looking after themselves at this point. So, uh, you know, for the longest time, I was saving for my retirement. <laughs> and so I had all this money saved for my retirement. But I was like, well, you haven't ever had a real job anyway. So aren't you kind of retired at the moment? And if you're saving for your retirement, shouldn't you be spending the money during your retirement as opposed to waiting to spend it after you die? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So I basically, you know, I'm very lucky that my wife agreed to the whole, you know, invest a whole <laughs> bunch of money in the house and the brewery so that we could, you know, have the Airbnb suite set up and have the brewery set up. And I have no doubt that I'll pay back the debt that I accumulated for the brewery within the first couple of years, but I'm not in a pressure situation. Yeah. My mom considers the loan she gave me part of the inheritance I might get eventually. And my friend is very well off. And he said, even if I never get that money back, I'm fine. So I'm, I'm in a really lucky situation where, you know, it, I don't have to have to have to make X number of dollars a day to pay for what it is. I mean, I have to cover the cost of my uh, registration for the, the actual liquor license and the federal excise tax. There's fees associated with that on an annual basis and cover my insurance and cover my utilities. But that's not an enormous amount of money to, to have those, those fees paid for. And in the meantime, it's just like, I want to have fun meeting interesting people who find me like the, the, we're on Google maps, people are occasionally show up. And at this point, if people show up, I'm like, I can't sell you beer, but here, take a sample. I'd like to create a bit of buzz before we actually open. And people have been very enthusiastic about the, the things that we've been doing and the, the beers that I've been making. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's part community, part explore, like I, again, keeping the system super small so that I can use ingredients from the property. Uh, we've got red currants, we've got blackberries, we've got raspberries, we've got all this different fruit that we can use locally. And the, there's a, a malt uh, farm that's out about an hour from here where I can get malt that's local. So that it's very much a, a local feeling to Vancouver Island. And then creating a bit of a destination. So you come here and you walk along the trail and you see the bees and you look at the hop yard that we got a little hop yard growing our own hops not enough to produce enough for the, the production that we'll be moving into but enough that it gives them an idea of oh you're you're trying to really take something uh special from where you live and infuse it into the beer and you're not trying to be bigger better stronger faster you're not trying to compete with any international conglomerate yeah. you're trying to create uh, an interesting interesting experience and quite often people will come out and visit the property and go, wow, you're doing all these really interesting, <clears throat> excuse me, side projects that I would love to be able to do, but I have a real job and I've got a wife and I've got kids that need to go to school. And it's like, we've, we we're lucky. We're in a situation where we've done a lot of, we've crossed a lot of the hurdles that a lot of people have in their lives. And we're now in a position where it's like, well, this is, you're, you're paying for your retirement, but you're doing something that will also sustain itself, which is, the ideal situation as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And and like just touching on the, I mean, what you said there about people coming to find you and to get the beers. I mean, that's your beers won't be available anywhere else. Basically you said just, you got to come here. Yeah. yeah you got to come to the brewery. Yeah. Or were you saying there was some maybe local restaurant as well might have. 
Yeah, there's a couple of places. There's a, a, a resort just down the road that has a specialty restaurant, which I would consider having beer at. But the, the problem then is if I don't make enough, like yeah. if I'm just selling out from the brewery, why would I sell wholesale to a, yeah. a restaurant so that they can make the money that I could make that if I marked it up at the brewery itself? Like that doesn't make any sense. And the... I, I, I understand a big production brewery needs to do distribution and packaging, but I'm not a big production brewery. I'm a very small one man operation at this scale at this stage. I mean, it, I have a friend who keeps saying you may need to get a minion at some point just to help. And I was like, well, we're not there yet, but you know, once the debt's paid off, like the money's paid off that I've, you know, invested into it. And if I get old and don't want to lift around 25 kilo bags of grain, sure, I'd be happy to consider somebody younger who wants to have the experience of working in a tiny little brewery. And maybe that launches them onto a, a bigger career in the brewing industry. Or maybe it's you invite home brewers who are local who want to come out and have the experience and working on a small commercial system. You know, you want to come out for a week? Great. You can stay in the Airbnb and that will be the, like we won't charge you for the Airbnb you'll get room and board, you'll work in the brewery for free, but they'll have that experience of what would it be like to work in a commercial brewery, which seems uh, seems like a, uh, an opportunity that I would have taken advantage of when I was making the transition. So hopefully it's something that would appeal to other people as well. And I mean, we'll see. The, the, my wife's originally from Japan and she keeps saying, we should get homestay students who wanna come and learn how to make beer and just be that young set of muscles and enthusiasm that, you know, we're not as fast as we used to be. I mean, my wife just uh, is in her 60s now. I'm in my mid-50s. And it's like we're not chasing money or uh, goals as aggressively as we used to because we've got most of the stuff that we want. So and now it's just becoming how do you have a sustainable lifestyle, a sustainable life that, you know, you wake up every morning enjoying the the thing you're filling your day with. I mean, sure, many people would consider working working in a brewery to be work, but I just enjoy it. Like I enjoy the process of it. I enjoy the I, even the cleaning doesn't bother me. It's I, there's a whole. I mean, if you talk to any brewer, I'm sure you have. They'll say that as a brewer, you're mostly a, a janitor cleaning up after the tanks and stuff. But I like a certain level of tidiness in a space and it just makes me happy to see things on point clean tidied up ready to go and then the the joy of actually making the beer and then the the joy of sharing it with people who are enthusiastic about it you know people somebody got reached out actually a couple of days ago saying hey i haven't seen you been posting on instagram very much lately and i always enjoy your posts and i was like oh yeah sorry um i was on a cruise ship so i wasn't posting stuff for the brewery and then when i got home I've been on uh, full-time house and dog duty while my wife's been in Japan. So I haven't had as much time for posting social media as I might normally do. And at the end of the day, I'm just kind of tired. So, <laughs> but he, he still wanted to come by and, and I was happy to share with him some of the stuff that I've been making recently. And he used another home brewer. And so, you know, the first time he came out, he brought a couple like a beer and a cider. And so we got to talk beer, which is fun. I mean, it's just fun to, you know, what did you do to create this? I mean, were you doing all late hop additions? Oh, no, this one tastes a little bit more. Uh, you can taste the bittering component. So a 60 minute boil plus whatever. I mean, and just, you know, talk about other people's processes and enjoy the experience of sharing. I mean, yeah. I also uh, just before Christmas got to do a collaboration brew with another local brewery where we took spruce tips from 
my area, I, I picked a lot of spruce tips, which are sort of uh, April is when the new growth on the spruce trees comes out. You just go around, you pick up all the tips, put them in a, a Ziploc bag, put them in the freezer. And then just before Christmas, we made a beer that had the spruce tips in it and the yeast that I cultivated from the honey that our bees produce. And they provided all the malt and everything else. We used their system, but their system is smaller than my system. So, you know, they're, they're also passionate about creating interesting beers, also using local ingredients, also doing everything else. So it felt like a, a good match. And because they've been open for a year, they've already gone through all the hurdles that I'm going through and we're an excellent source of information moving forward and them saying, oh, well, maybe not as soon as you open, but we considered doing this in the first year of operations just because it helped save us a bunch of time. Uh, here's something else that might be worth considering. And just, you know, having that that uh, community amongst brewers is, you know, really exciting to to develop those relationships so that it's partly the the fun of sharing what you're making with the general public, but then also sharing what you're doing with other brewers who have ideas that you might not have had or who are combining ingredients that you maybe not thought of, you know, combining before. And yeah, the, the spruce tip beer ended up being fantastic. And because the, the spruce tips and the yeast came from Shirley and we made it just before Christmas, the name of that particular beer is Shirley It's Christmas. Spruce tip ale, which is uh, so you, yeah, it's well, it's fantastic. People are saying, why, why are you putting out a Christmas beer after Christmas? And it was like the it was brewed before Christmas, and it's just the way the timing worked out. But I mean, ideally, that's one that you want to put on tap at the beginning of December so that people can have a little bit of Christmas cheer right as they're going into it. And a couple of years ago, I made one that I called Liquid Christmas that had the spruce tips, orange, and ginger in it. That was also really lovely. Just to, to have sort of that Christmassy kind of spiciness to something you can taste. It's like drinking a Christmas tree, but not as right. not in not in a bad way, in a really really good way. So yeah, just fun to to take these ideas from the property because the spruce chips grow right here, and then convert that idea into a flavor that you can share with an audience, but then also share that. I call it an audience with your patrons. I mean, I'm coming from a juggling perspective, yeah. people who are coming here are my audience because I get to perform perform for them with the beer that I've made uh, instead of just the juggling clubs or unicycles or whatever else. But yeah, the uh, the idea of taking an idea and seeing it through and then getting to share it with your patrons and with other brewers and then just, it's it, it stops feeling, it doesn't feel like work at all. It just feels like you're, you're pursuing your passion in a way that's, you know, hopefully sustainable that hopefully the community wants to support and back uh, and, and, you know, enjoy your retirement, even though you're not really retired, you are kind of working, but you yeah. saved for your retirement and now you're spending it on the retirement. I mean, some people want to go travel like the world once they retire, like, yeah, we're going to go see Spain. We're going to go here, there and everywhere. But me, it's like, I'm, I've traveled so much with my career as a juggler that when I'm not working, yeah. wor working, when I'm not performing and traveling around the world with that thing, I like just being at home. It's just really nice. And I, you know, going around the property too, there are all sorts of side projects beyond the brewery, beyond the beekeeping, beyond the hop yard that are just passions. Like I, when you start keeping bees, all of a sudden you really start to notice what flowers are in bloom at any given time of the year because those bees need forage. So then you start to garden to provide a source of nectar and pollen for your bees 
all throughout the season, which then turns into, okay, well, maybe we should plant more blackberries, A, for the brewery, B, for the bees, and then get this great blackberry honey. And and so it's not one thing. It's like uh, an ecosystem of fun side projects that all seem to complement each other, which is just really a, a hoot. Yeah, I mean, that that sounds like the sort of... The, the sort of thing that people would want to come to you for. I mean, if I if I was anywhere near that <laughs> near that side of Canada, I mean, you know, you'd want to go and hear all the story about how you planted it, have some honey, have the have the beer that came from the yeast from that honey. Yeah, the yeah, whole no, thing is, is what makes it unique. It's know? an experience, absolutely. And then you know the the beers again uh, are most of them are in tribute to either performer friends or people who've helped some way with the brewery development or have shared ideas with me. And it's just like an, an acknowledgement of I'm just the product of all the gifts that I've been given through my experiences with friends, my experiences with travel, my experience with people who want to help support this vision I have for what's going on. And I, I sort of feel like I'm just a conduit through which these ideas and experience can happen. That's, I mean, really fun when you've got uh, mid-season mid when the bees are buzzing going to the hive box, taking the lid off, taking out a frame of honey, and then getting people to stick their fingers straight into the honeycomb because the people don't have that experience. There's nowhere that you you know, got to check to make sure there are no bee allergies and you want to shake the bees off the frame. But if you're looking at the bees and there are bees on the frame and you just say, look, bees are really calm as long as you're calm, then you're also being... Uh, uh, a bit of an educator so that people aren't afraid of the fact that these incredible insects are creating this fantastic, delicious resource. And all of a sudden you go from being scared of something that you don't know anything about to actually understanding how it works and then having respect for what they're doing, how they're doing it, and that you we work together. I mean, again, it's a, a symbiotic ecosystem where you give them you know, their fabulous three-bedroom apartment with a view of the ocean, the, 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 the internet is free. Like for the bees, they're happy to stay in those boxes. And then we share a little bit of their honey so that, you know, that's their rent basically. Yeah. So you provide a, an opportunity for the bees to thrive and then you get to share that experience and share the knowledge of what bees are and how they operate with the uh, people who are coming to the property who might not know otherwise. And is that something you've got planned out? Like, or is this just what happens from time to time when people are coming? Or do you have a, an actual kind of a tour that you bring? Well, I'd love to, I, because this, the tasting space is so small, I, I don't know if it'll happen or when it'll happen, but I anticipate needing to go to buy reservation only for, for coming into the brewery. You can do off sales out the side window, but for people who actually want to have like a two hour experience where we walk the trail, we see the property, we talk about the bees, we try a bunch of different beers, that to me feels more like a tour than it does your standard. I'm going to go in and get a tasting flight from this brewery and try a bunch of their stuff. And so it might be once a week, we'll set up a day for tours. And then the rest of the time it's, but again, we haven't opened. I don't know how it's going to play out yet. Uh, I've got summer cruise ship contracts basically because I don't know if and when the brewery is going to actually start generating revenue. So I still need to have an income source and I still like performing and I still like doing these juggling shows as well. So it's, it's, you know, the juggling career is supporting the brewery habit at the moment and the bee habit. And because we, last year we, we had about, let me think uh, about 60 liters of honey, which is 
it's it was the best harvest we ever had in terms of getting honey from the bees, but not quite enough to really start selling the honey because I was using most of it for stuff that I was producing or, or you know, giving stuff away. For the Airbnb, we give a small sample of the honey for the guests who are staying here. So they get to say, oh, those are the bees and here's the honey that came from those bees. That's a really great experience. And trying to enrich just the as many of the different aspects of what we have to offer and the things that we want to share with the people who come and, and visit. So yeah, we're making it up as we go along. Uh, I'm sure a lot of it will start making more sense as more people start showing up as we're allowed to sell beer through the government, through the yeah. proper channels and everything else. Uh, and in the meantime, it's like, no, still love making beer, still love having friends over, still going to drink the beer. But there's a fine line between uh, doing it as a home brewer and then making that leap to being a professional brewer and needing to have all of those things registered with the government and then tracking sales and tracking production. Uh, so that, that, so, so my friend who's helping us with some of the business stuff says, it's a lot of adulting to get to the stuff you want to do. So we're, we're trying to get through the adulting as quickly as possible so that we can just get back to the fun that we like having on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was talking, I, I don't know, it's before Christmas and I was talking to someone over in Newfoundland, um, right mm. Um, so they're on the, the complete opposite end of you. They're they're the far end of Newfoundland, and they're they're, they're kind of very isolated. But uh, it was funny because there, there was like there was a life. We had a couple of people watching it live at the time, and there's someone, mm. and I was just saying hello. And it turned out to be someone on Vancouver Island. So I tried, oh really? <laughs> I tried to send him up to you, but I don't know if he ever made it or not. Well, we like again because we're not officially open yet. We've got a sign that sits in front of the property that says "Future Home of Checkerhead Brewing." If you're looking for beer right now, go to the other closest local brewery, which is down the road by about 20 minutes. So uh, people will drive up to the front of the property, see the sign, and then turn around and go away. Uh, which is what my wife suggested because she said people are just driving up the driveway looking for beer, and because we can't sell it officially yet, there's no there's yeah. no point in in advertising that we exist kind of but you know every so often people will see the sign and not read it still drive up the driveway and then it's you just have a great conversation about you know this is everything that you and i are talking about right now this is what we're working towards those are the bees this is the hop yard this is what we're doing this is the brewery it's not quite open yet because we're still testing some of the systems this is what we're working towards but a lot of you know, commercial breweries have to get open as soon as possible because yeah. they're paying commercial rent. They're paying a big uh, debt on or paying back a big loan that they've, you know, incurred debt for to buy the equipment, to set the stuff up. And I'm in a much better situation than that. Yeah, I do owe some money to a couple of people, but one's my mom and she's like pretty cool about stuff. And the other is also very, you know, very user-friendly from a loan perspective. He's great. So, they're just wanting to support something that they want to see succeed. And there have been lots of people, friends who've come out and offered to volunteer to help. There's still some shelving to be put into the cold storage area and they're going to be coming out in a couple of weeks to help finish that. And uh, there are places where I, I spend the money to get the professional in, to get the work done that I can't, I don't have the technical skills for. So it's like, yeah, okay, let's get the plumber, get the electrician in to make sure things are on point. But a lot of it is like if you can do it yourself or you yep. can find friends who know how to do it, who want to support the process. And 
you know, one of the beers I make is in tribute to my friend Rick, who said, I want a blueberry cheesecake sour beer. And I was like, all right, I'll make that for you because you've been coming out. You work for a building supply company. You keep getting me building materials at cost. You keep coming out and helping me build these projects. The least I could do, the least I could do is make a beer in tribute to you. I mean, if I could do less, I would, but at the least I could do is make a tribute beer for you. So he's got his tribute beer. And then one of his friends who comes out and help all, all the time likes a red ale. So I made a red ale in tribute to him. And then Rick's brother, Chris, he wanted a, a, a basil-based beer. So we're putting together some test batches for that coming up in the next little bit. And, you know, still having my home brew system means I can brew you know, 20 or 30 liters of a batch of beer as a test to see if it's going to work or not before scaling it up to the bigger system and, and seeing how it's going to go. So yeah. it's all fun. That's, not, that's nothing you have or you can't predict now, like, what beers you're going to be brewing or because you, yeah. like you, you, you don't have to go into a distribution, so you don't have to produce the same amount of anything. So it could be someone comes to to visit you one week, there's a certain type of beer available the next week. You don't know what it'll be. Yet. Right. It'll be different beers. And uh, I mean, the, the production scale is small enough so that I can, I can still brew a test batch, put it in a small keg off my little homebrew system as a test batch and have an experimental beer on tap every week or every two weeks that's something that isn't hasn't been fully scaled up to the larger system yet but yeah every time you come here there'll be something different or i, I think there will be a bit of uh customer demand for what ends up becoming core beers your your staples but i i mean i'm i, I like all the beers i make so if those are the ones that become the ones that everybody wants it's like great all right i can make those <laughs> that's fine and then, so, sorry, just to go back on your label thing. So do you have to, so you have to have different SKUs for can the same beer in can, keg, bottle. Right. And if, if you're doing this test batch, say you're doing a test batch, you don't know what it's going to turn out to be or what it's going to be. How far in advance are you going to have to? Register the products and everything else? Register it out and plan out what's going into kegs and what's going. Well, initially, all the beer that I'm going to produce is going to be put into 20 liter kegs. Uh, there's like 20s, 30s, and 50 liters is the standard sizes. And I'm getting old. I don't want to lift 50 liter kegs because they are very heavy. Mm -hmm. And also the serving station, it's a, a kegerator that can hold eight uh, 20 liter kegs. So I don't want to have bigger kegs because they won't be able to, it won't be able to fit into the, the space that I've got to work in very well. So the eight 20 liter kegs will go into the, the serving station and uh, you know, each time you make a, a beer, again, I could put it into one keg and that will be fine and just register it as that skew. But again, going back to, I intend to initially when we open have the availability of tasting flights so you can taste the different beers and then you can take a growler fill home with you. I don't know if you've got growlers where you are, but they're like, it's, we're allowed to do 500 milliliters, one liter and basically two liters. It's 1.89, but it's basically 500 one two liter sizes and then you decide which of the beers taste have a tasting flight decide which one you like the best and then fill up the the size that you want to take away with you and then boom away you go which means that i get to do my packaging directly from the keg that means the keg is the only one skew that i need to worry about and then eventually if i do a special release that is like there are only a hundred of this particular beer in a bottle then i'll go register it as that skew in a bottle okay. but for th things that are you know a test batch it'll be only available in the keg 
only have to register that one SKU as a keg SKU and then await the races and see how it goes. If people like it, make more. If people don't like it, you know, think about it. But I tried to figure out as I scale up, I want to, I want to make it as easy on myself as possible. So, you know, only doing 20 liter kegs at the yeah. beginning of production means you don't have to have as many SKUs. You don't have to record as many sales per SKU to the liquor distribution branch. It's all, all of a sudden it's like, okay, we sold two of that keg, one of that keg, all of a sudden it's one, two, three, and that's what you report. And it yeah. just makes it easier. Yeah. Well, also I suppose, you know, it's predicting like that, this whole, you know, managing your SKUs, you, you make loads of cans and then you don't sell them, but your kegs are going, are going out like crazy. Yeah. I mean, if you only have that one, if the beer is only available in one format, yeah. then you don't have to worry about that other stuff. And because it's only going to be available from the brewery, I don't have to worry about packaging and cans. And then that's the other big thing is if you put your beer in a, in a, a package, either a bottle or a can or even a keg, and send it away from the brewery, you have no control over how that beer is being stored, where it's yeah. being kept, if it's getting heated up and like if the temperature is doing all these different fluctuations. So there's so many opportunities for beer that leaves the brewery to go bad yeah, that, or to not be what you intended it to be that I'm going to try to avoid that altogether by just not offering that as an option. It's like, if you want the beer, I mean, if people come and buy a growler of beer and they leave it sitting in a hot sunny day in their car and then they expect it to taste great, well, that's kind of on them because you're not, and you, I mean, it goes back to trying to educate the patrons as to you want fresh beer is great. It tastes really special having it directly from the brewery that made it. But if you walk away with it, make sure you treat it with respect and bring the growler back clean. Cause if you bring a dirty growler back and want me to fill I mean, put good beer into a stinky growler, then you're disrespecting the flow of how things should work and just try to create a, a situation where people like it so much that they're willing to make a little bit of extra effort to have a refillable container as opposed to having a single use container. Because that's, again, as we move forward, there's, you know, trying to reduce the amount of plastics and, and things that require energy to recycle. I mean, if you can wash it out yourself and bring it back clean and I can refill it for you. Then we, we work as a team to create a great experience as opposed to just putting the onus on the producer to like, it's, it's turns it into a bit more of a community understanding of how this is all working, which I hope people will embrace, but we'll find out. Yeah. Well, how that, that'll work to some extent with locals though, but I mean, obviously if you're tourists coming, you get the, they'll probably have tasted it in, They'll have tasted the flight, tasted one or two beers there, and then they're just buying the growler to take away. Yeah, but hopefully, hopefully, yeah, I mean, we live in an area where there's lots of camping and lots of beaches that you can go to. So the, in, the intent would be to give them cold beer that they can keep while they go from here to where their okay. campground is and then consume it that night. So, okay. you know, it's ideally you don't keep your beer in the car and drive it across Canada to Newfoundland. Right. hoping it to you know succeed in getting all the way across i mean it's like, again it's like I, I, there's there's no preservative it's unfiltered it's like this is a living breathing thing enjoy it while you should and when you should and then if you mistreat it it won't be as good as what you first tasted so you know it's yeah. a, part education part entertainment part delicious experience all sort of rolled into one and you know if it doesn't do well i'll just go back to juggling 
<laughs> well, it sounds like, I mean, it should. It sounds, it, it sounds a perfect thing. Like I said, if I was wandering around Vancouver Island, I'm going to come in and, and, and check it out. You know, that's, it sounds I, like it, it is a great, it, it will be a great afternoon out and a great time and you get great beer and you learn a lot. And how, how, how much, how much better could it be? Uh, well, you know, um, and a bit of juggling, maybe you get a bit. Yeah, of maybe throw a little juggling in. I, I've got a, a a seven foot unicycle that I've stopped using because I'm I got tired of jumping off seven. Like it's a very tall one, and coming down, your knees and ankles take a bit of abuse. And I could probably still continue to do it, but why? When I've got another one that's about a foot and a half shorter, still achieves the same thing of looking like you're on something tall, and doesn't do as much damage to your body. So, I'm trying to create a scenario that is a sustainable situation. So that seven foot unicycle is just going to sit above the bar and be a conversation piece. Oh yeah. Yeah. And maybe have a photo of me at one of my shows on that unicycle above the bar as well. So people can go, Oh, that's yeah, same thing. Yep. That's what that is. And, you know, trying to uh, populate the space with some of the memorabilia from my performing career so that the people get a bit of the history too. It's like, Oh, this is a, what an interesting life you've led. Hopefully is the feeling that people have when they come and then when they walk away. So we'll yeah. see. Good. Well, I, I hope, I mean, I have no doubts it's going to work, but um, so it's March you're aiming for the end of March. Start, uh, start brewing on April Fool's Day, April 1st. Uh, between now and when I leave on my next cruise ship, I hope to get all the systems tested and working and clean all the tanks and just jump through the various hoops that need to be jumped through. And then, uh, yeah, be able to hit the ground running when I get back from this next cruise. And then people just need to keep an eye on social media. Yeah. There's no guarantee that you're there because you might, because again, you're, you're not tied down. You might go off for a cruise somewhere for a week and the yeah. shuts but the, down. Uh, look, check on Facebook or Instagram. I'll keep everything posted there as to, you know, when there is actually beer available because I, I produce a beer on April 1st. It's not going to be ready to drink for a few weeks. So it's like, that'll, it'll be fun to, to, you know, share that experience of, Okay, the first batch is up. Okay, everything's systems are working. Everything's going well. Okay, these are the, the beers. Or what beer would you like me to brew next and let people have a bit of say in terms of what is being produced as well? So, yeah, it's yeah a bit of a mystery as to how it's all going to pan out, but that's part of the adventure and part of the yeah. makes life interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully if the – I can't remember the name. I'm sorry, but if the person who was from Vancouver Island who was talking to us from to Newfoundland – Hopefully they'll check this out at some point, this recording. Uh, maybe they'll check you out and they can come up and visit as well. Yeah, well, I look forward to welcoming anybody who wants to have the experience to our little tiny place on Shirley here on the island and uh, to share the property and the vision of what we're trying to do. Excellent. Well, Dave, maybe we, we'll, um, we'll try to catch up again at some stage. Sure. The or something. But um, thanks a million. Um, and yeah, best of luck. Hopefully we'll, like I said, I've, I've, from the sound of it, it's going to be a unique experience so there's no reason in the world it's not going to be a success you know the problem is i think not going to have enough space like that's, <laughs> but if i sell out by noon i sell out by noon that's it, not bad it just just means i get to go and walk my dogs and have a that experience you know life have the life that you're supposed to live all right well um i'll let you get back to the dogs now anyway so um, thank you all right. yeah, they're, they're, they're waiting for a walk so i'm gonna go take them out right now okay well um listen thanks again thanks a million and um yeah we'll talk soon take care bye